Hi, this is Life Coach David. Thanks for listening to the Law of Attraction podcast. You can find out more about me and life coaching at lifecoachdavid.com. And if you have a question you want me to answer on a future podcast, you can email me at david at lifecoachdavid.com. And we're going to continue reading today from Excuse Me, Your Life is Waiting. But before I get into that, I just wanted to ask anyone who's listening, if you're looking to be in a wonderful relationship or even looking to improve your current relationship, you have to turn towards yourself and ask yourself, am I in a good relationship with myself? Am I doing positive things for myself? Am I deliberately trying to be a better person? Am I doing something that I shouldn't be doing? That if I stop doing, it's going to improve my vibration? Because you have to remember, like energy attracts like energy. So if you're at a low vibration, if you're not taking responsibility for your actions and your thoughts and who you are, then you're going to attract someone on that same vibration. So just think about that and if need be, take some action to improve who you are. The better you keep yourself, the better you start thinking, the higher vibration you are, the more likely you're going to attract someone wonderful. And today I'm going to continue reading from Excuse Me, Your Life is Waiting. I hope you have enjoyed the previous podcasts and are trying to use the information to improve your own life. Because that's my reason for doing this, is not only enjoying the information, but using it yourself to help yourself. And I'm going to try something new today. Usually I edit my podcast, I read a section or two, and then I go back. Sometimes I make a mistake and I edit it out. But today I'm going to try to just be free-flowing and just kind of let you hear if I make a mistake and be okay with it. And maybe I won't make any mistakes, but we'll find out. So the chapter we're starting today is chapter 5, and the title is called Conditions Be Damned. This whole process of deliberate creating is really quite simple, but not always easy, at least not at first. In fact, I'd be inclined to say it's a bitch. But once you get the hang of how you're focusing and flowing your energy and see the all-too-obvious results of that, it becomes a snap. Well, almost. Let's do a quick review before diving in deeper and take a look at how far we've gotten in the four steps of deliberate creation. We've reasonably examined step one, which is identify what you don't want. We've moderately examined step two, identify what you do want, and we've taken a pass at step three, find the feeling place of your want. Now we're getting to the real guts of step three, the tough part, learning how to feel good about something we want and don't have. You know as well as I do that our usual thinking has been along the lines of, when that's over, there comes, well, I have to read that again. When what's over there comes here, then I can be happy. Or, when I have the right body, then I can feel good about myself. When I'm making more money, then I'll be rid of stress. The old gotta find a way to fix it so I can be happy syndrome. Yet, it's been precisely that kind of thinking that has made our lives so difficult. 
When circumstances have not suited us, which is more times than not, our first reaction has always been to search for physically aggressive remedies to remove it, release it, repair it, and correct it. We are, after all, physical beings. Don't like it? No problem. Whack, bang, smack, fix it. But if whatever it is we're trying to accomplish doesn't get fixed, or it seems too big to change, or too overwhelming to attain in a time frame which suits us, we get all disgruntled and frustrated. And you already know the results of that scenario. In the energy of our disgruntledness and frustration, we're simply attracting a whole lot more of whatever it is we're trying so darn hard to fix. And the next section is called, She Started With Safe. My old college friend Liz had lived with her husband for years in a well-to-do area of Arizona, raising two children and working as a volunteer for her favorite humanitarian organizations. When her husband Clint passed away, Liz was faced with some tough decisions. She hadn't worked for three decades, but getting some money coming in was mandatory. The family had moved into a large new home only three years before Clint's death, a home that came with hefty payments but very little equity. So that selling the new place to purchase a smaller one with smaller payments was not an option. The worst part was Clint had left very little life insurance. Without warning, Liz found herself between a rock and a hard place. If she sold the house, there wouldn't be enough to buy a smaller one. If she kept it, she was facing payments she could not afford. Sure, the kids offered to help, but that would provide her with only temporary relief. Liz's one talent was her artwork. She was an accomplished watercolor artist, and her paintings of the Arizona desert were a delight to behold. She had never sold much commercially except to admiring friends, but now she found herself with the enticing possibility, if not necessity, of becoming a full-time professional artist. Being a gutsy gal, she decided to go for it amidst protests from her offspring that she should find something more traditional, like a sales job with a local department store. Between what Clint had left her, their small savings, and what she borrowed from the kids, Liz had enough to keep her going for about one year. But every time we talked, it was, gosh, I haven't sold anything yet. I don't know if this is going to work or not. I've got to sell something pretty soon, or I don't know what I'll do. Liz was not a student of flowing energy, nor did she care to be. She'd listen politely to my sometimes not-so-gentle suggestions that she stop focusing on her current negative condition, the lack of sales, and start focusing seriously on what she wanted and how that felt to her. Over and over we talked. Over and over, Liz would say, I don't think I can hold out much longer. I'm getting so nervous, I can't even concentrate on my painting. What am I going to do? I'm terrified. One day, I just couldn't hold back any longer. Acting out of good old tough love, for a dear, dear friend, I started talking low, slow, and very firmly. All right, my friend, if you want to sink your own ship, be my guest. I wash my hands. 
Enjoy your misery, and please don't call again with your problems. You could turn them around in no time if you'd stop belly aching. So whenever you're ready, give a call. I mean it. No more calls until you're ready to take control. I felt like a heel, but I wasn't going to become another link in her chain of pain. For three weeks, all was quiet on the Arizona phone waves. When the call came, I could have cried. You win, I give up. What do I do, she said, and she meant it. First, I got her talking about all the things she did not want. That was easy. Lose the house, lose the respect of her friends and children, lose the chance to paint professionally. Then we started on the wants, piece by piece. We zeroed in on the house first, as that was the most pressing. That and any other subject relating to money. Liz could speak of nothing else because that's all she'd been thinking about. Her paintings weren't selling, so all the money was going in the wrong direction. Out. Okay, Liz, the first thing we're going to do is get you feeling good and vibrating differently. Feel good? You twit. How on earth do you expect me to feel good when I'm about to lose everything Clint and I ever had? That's why I'm calling you, to figure out how to sell my paintings. If they'd start selling, everything would be okay, and I'd feel as good as you want me to feel. That was precisely the problem. All Liz could see in front of her was the lack of what she wanted. The more she looked at all she didn't have and all that was not coming in, the worse she felt. The worse she felt, the more financially she'll run around in circles trying to turn it around. The more she ran, the worse it felt, and the worse she felt, the more nothing sold. So she was focused completely and perpetually on the grim conditions of the moment, believing them to be the sum total of her reality. Facts were facts. Her attempt at supporting herself through her art was not working. I've got to face reality, she'd sigh with resignation. But I kept at it and finally got her turned around to talking about why she wanted to keep the house, which at the time she felt was a preposterously stupid thing to be talking about. All right, all right, I want to keep the house so I won't have to move. That was a don't want, but I wasn't about to confuse her with details. And why don't you want to move? Suddenly there was a softening as she said, Well, because Clint and I love this place so, and it still feels like our place, like Clint is still here with me. Her resistance to feel good energy was softening. None of that feeling has gone, and I do so cherish the way it makes me feel, except when I think about having to make the payments. Bit by bit, we worked, bit by bit, we worked more into her love of their home until I heard such a sweet joy coming through. She was feeling good and then some. Her valve was wide open. Liz, stop! Right at this moment, I want you to feel what you're saying. What do you mean, she said. How does what you're saying make you feel? Well, wonderful, of course. Nurtured, taken care of. My God, safe. Oh, yes, I feel so warm and safe. Good. Now hold on to that feeling. Got it? Yes, I've got it. Feels good, doesn't it? Sure it does. It feels great. 
All right, from that place of safety, from that place of feeling so good, think about how you'll feel when you're easily making payments on the house. Never mind how you're going to do it. Never mind you can't do it right now. Where you're going has nothing to do with where you are now. Nothing. You've got to remember that. This condition you see yourself in doesn't mean a thing. Once and for all, take your focus off of it or you'll never get where you want to be. Got it? I think so, but how? Never mind how. Your only job is to find ways to feel good and to forget about what's staring you in the face. You want to find ways to feel a little better and a little better and a little better until you feel pretty good. And when you feel pretty good, in those moments, think about making those easy payments on your house. Can you do that? Oh, I don't know, she said. Okay, how does being able to make those payments make you feel? Terrific, she said. Of course. Think about the thrill of selling your paintings, not from a place of gotta do it, gotta do it, but with a yow, yay, I am doing it kind of elation. When you think about it from that perspective, how does that feel? There was a long pause. Then she said, Oh gosh, freer than a bird, heavenly. Right, that's the feeling, I said. That's what I want you to go to, that feeling, all the time. Liz, take your focus off your current negative conditions. Stop looking at them. Stop thinking about them. That only makes you feel worse. You've got to remember that your only job is to feel good, period. Then let the universe take care of the rest. Liz felt so wonderful talking about how she and Clint loved the house that she figured she could recreate that feeling fairly easily. At any rate, that's where she began. It took three months and a phone bill that would kill a cow. <laughs> but at the end of that third month, which just happened to coincide with the end of the year Liz had originally given herself to make good with her art, not only had Liz sold enough paintings to cushion herself for a while, but she had inquired an enthusiastic agent, or whatever you call them in the art world. She was scheduled for her first local showing, and she had been commissioned with a fair amount of dollars up front to do a small mural in a private office building. Liz got the message and is now very careful as to how she flows her energy. In truth, I'm not sure which of us was more elated at the turnaround. And that's the end of that section. And that's so true and so amazing. And so many times, so many of us are so caught up in what is. Because that's so easy to be caught up in and it seems so important. And we have to get all concerned about it and we stew about it and tell our friends about it. And the more we do that, we have to remember that like thoughts attract like thoughts. So, of course, the more we stew in something we don't want, the more thoughts are coming in that support that. And it's only through the awareness of, wait a minute, I can't keep focusing on what is. I've got to focus on what I want so I can start turning around this energy to a higher vibration so I can start attracting more of what I want. And once we really believe that and start doing it, then we start noticing a difference in how we feel. And in turn, we start attracting more of what we want. 
But you have to do your best to trust that. And it does work because it's the law of attraction, you know, not the sometimes law of attraction, the law of attraction. And it's always responding to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm going to read one more section because she's still talking about Liz from the previous section. And this section is called Our Cherished Problems. Liz was just doing what we all do, running around like a chicken with its head cut off as she tried to fix all the circumstances of the moment that scared her. Like a drowning person struggling against the lifeguard, the more frightened and hopeless she felt, the harder she fought with negative energy to find ways to remedy her situation. She was looking at the mess she was in, her disastrous conditions, finding them not to her liking, and frantically wondering how to change them through normal physical means. And the more she tried to fix, 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 the more negative energy she flowed and the worse things got. Everywhere she looked from within the dark hole she thought was her reality, she saw nothing but gloom. We've all been there. When things get rough, we either brood about it or hastily plot for ways to execute damage control. Fix it, improve it, rectify it. Is there one among us who hasn't mused? If I could just get from here to there, everything would be fine. We are fix-it mongers, dutifully trained to respond to whatever conditions are in our face. But fixing is registering our natural energy. Oh, I said it wrong. But fixing is resisting our natural energy. Fixing is a closed valve. Fixing is whopping negative energy. The challenge is to take our focus off the object of our anxieties or irritations and find the happier feeling of what we want in its place. In other words, we need to stop fixing and start feeling good. Let's say, for instance, your roof is old and needs to be replaced, but you don't have the money to do it right now. However, it's the rainy season, so the problem is somewhat pressing. You're also having major problems with the car, and the IRS is dunning you for back taxes. You've got a batch of nasty you've got a batch of nasty conditions on your hands, none of which are going to make you feel particularly sunny as you think about them. But think about them you do, and think about them and think about them. So of course they get bigger. All of those negative conditions, known more endearingly as problems, are nothing but irksome don't wants. But they are so common to us and such a part of our world, we take them for granted as part of life. In fact, we wear them as honor badges of identity, a sort of one-upmanship in the sorry game of who can be the biggest victim. And naturally, the more we stew about them or brag about them, the bigger they become. Some negative conditions are serious problems, others simply minor annoyances, yet whatever they may be, they are so prevalent, so all-pervasive that we've made them a way of life. However, negative conditions are nothing more than the result of our own past focus and feelings and energy flow. That's all they are. Our negative energy flow was the cause and the unpleasant conditions are the effect. There is only one way to stop the messes in our lives from getting worse. Stop focusing on them. If we can accept from the depths of our being 
that our problems are not caused by our boss, our mate, our raucous kids, the IRS, or the drunk on the freeway, then we have a chance to wipe those problems away in the same way we attracted them, by our energy flow. Only this time, through a significantly through a significantly different vibration. I'm not going to pull any punches. This is tricky. Starting at and responding to what's in our face is what we do. To change that means we would have to give up our cherished right to have and agonize over our precious problems. Well, fear not. As long as we are physical, we will always be faced with conditions we neither like nor want. Otherwise, we'd be living in Sameville. So there will always be plenty of problems around for you to focus on if you should want to cut loose on occasion and flood yourself with negative energy, as I frankly enjoy doing from time to time. But our goal now is to change the way we react to our unwanted conditions so they cease being the focal point of our lives. And that's the end of that section. And that is so true. And we all need to do more of that to realize that we've got to shift on what we're thinking about if we want improvement to come into our lives. And actually, a lot of what I teach my clients helps with that. All the processes and the techniques and ideas are all law of attraction based, and they all help focus on what we want in a, in a high vibration way. So it puts us in the receiving mode, it keeps us feeling better, and it really works. So thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you're interested in Law of Attraction coaching, I always offer a free phone coaching session, and I hope you use the information you heard today and think about it and how you can use it in your own life to help yourself. Have a wonderful high vibration day, and tune in tomorrow for a continuation.